Do you like podcasting? Have you, because I know you, you're you radio for a long time. Was it an easy transition? Was it something that came natural to you? And do you like it? Pretty much no to every, all, all those questions. The answer is no. <laughs> it didn't come very easy. And to be honest with you, I don't really like it because it's not what I love, which is radio. And it took me a while to figure that out. At first, I just thought, okay, well, this is just a recorded radio show, which in some theory, I guess it is, but it's just, it's just really not. You get it. You got to treat your audience different in podcasting because it's just a different audience. These people right. chose to be here and you address who who's listening differently. I don't know how to explain it real eloquently here. So there are two very different things. The only thing they share in common, which is a pretty big thing, but is people listen to it outside of that. They're not even they're not even kind of the same thing. And I miss live bullets flying, no net radio. I love that. I get adrenaline from that. Podcasting is a chore. What the hell is that? Hey, Stone on Air. If you are not listening to Brian Stone, who has been a fixture in Chattanooga for years, you better be, or I'm gonna ask you personally why you're not. I'm so they're like, Brian! Yeah, Brian! Yes, my name is Brian! Finally, it's cool to be a Chattanoogan. Finally, it's cool to embrace this city. When some of us have been saying this for 25 years... Mic drop. Turn off the podcast. Stone on air. Yeah, just kill me now. Welcome in, everybody, to the supposed for-profit venture known as... The Stone On Air podcast, available in weekly installments, generally speaking, on a Wednesday, the midweek download destination for thousands in the city of Chattanooga and some of the surrounding areas. How are you? I am doing fine on this August 12th, 2020. We are three days away from saying, just like that, boom, snap your fingers, and the worst August ever is just about halfway through. Uh, I've got a fun show today, and as of about 24 hours ago, I thought I was going to have one of the worst shows I've ever done because I quite literally had almost nothing. I mean, just a couple of things to throw out there, and more on that here on the tail end of this opening segment as I have changed the entire direction of the show throughout the course of the entire day on Tuesday, and I never do that. If I have to do a bunch of work on Tuesday leading up to the recording of the show on Tuesday night, I'm pissed. I'm mad. Like, something didn't go right. I'm irritable. But I have just taken a huge left turn from where I was just about one day to one day and a half ago for sure because Tuesday was like a machine gun shooting of, of, of subject matter my way to use at just out of nowhere. Every time I turned a, an online corner, I ran into something else like, boom, there's good show material when I went six days without um, without having basically anything. And, uh, I, again, I'll get back to that on the front end there. That is a, an interview I did with uh, Clint Powell. He's a local uh, marketing guy overall. He's a, he, he's a broadcaster, too, but he's more of a marketer by trade, and uh, he's very good at both. And he asked me to be on his little video blog, video podcast, which I'd never done before. And the audio, as you can tell, was pretty crappy from my end because I didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I'll have a couple more cuts from that. It was a lot of fun. I knew I would enjoy it because I knew he does, knew, knew he did good work, but I didn't realize it was going to be a real fun 30 minutes that I would have done 30 more minutes if he wanted to. And maybe if I can figure out how to do this better, I'll do more things like that and be on with him more and all that. But we talk about some of those exact same things that I was just talking about as far as shifting gears, how do you come up with topics, how do you feel about this, da 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 we talked about those very things just the other day, and they all happened. It's just like the, that example of this sometimes happened, happened exactly right now. So I'll get to that here in just a few. A couple things here, because I, I have a feeling if I'm long-winded here, I'm going to get very long very quickly. I haven't mentioned this at all because I don't really, it's not that I don't care, it's just I don't have kids, so the school board is not something I spend a lot of time on. But the school board fight this go around, which is now over. Those those elections were what the uh, a week ago or so, I guess. Um, that was nasty. That's as nasty as I've ever seen. And uh, in a uh, nonpartisan race, all the super partisan advertising, like not even not not being like kind of subtly, you know, making it, uh, you know, implying things. It was just straight up saying, "I am a Republican." <laughs> when 
I don't know what the rules are, or I'm a Democrat, I, whoever was doing it. I don't, I don't know what the rules are, but that's it's always kind of been like you know a gentleman's or a, a gentlewoman's agreement that you don't do that. I'm wondering if this is a product of the new era, the Trumpification of America, where it's screw the system and screw the traditional um, uh, approaches to anything that involves government and elections. I, I, I'm, I'm literally wondering that out loud, but uh, I saw a lot of the fighting online um, from Rhonda Thurman's side, who would come from a more Republican side, from Kathy Lennon, who would definitely come from a more uh, Democrat side, who she stepped down, and Marco Perez, I believe is a name that she endorsed. He ended up winning District 2 over Tom DeCosimo, who was really vocal, at least through his advertising and all that. I don't know. It, it was, it was, I, I don't remember the school board elections being that contentious and that uh, nasty, really, with, for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, but maybe I just haven't paid that much uh, attention. I noticed this the other day. I Time flies, no matter whether you have any fun or not. Mikey Hauser from Widespread Panic, their founding member from right here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He died 18 years ago on Monday. And um, I won't spend a whole lot of time on that right now, other than I saw Mikey twice. I saw them for the very first time in 2001 at the UTC uh, Arena in November, and then in the in the um, uh, summer of '02 when I went to Bonnaroo, and from a distance saw him, and that's it. That, all my experiences and memories of widespread panic generally are without Mikey Hauser, even though I did actually see him one or two times officially. Really, only one where I was there for the whole show. Uh, Chattanooga Bystander does it again. <laughs> Um, sometimes they have a dud, but not usually. Uh, Satan announces S-Fest after J-Fest is officially canceled. Just hours after concert organizers announced the yearly Christian music festival J-Fest was canceled due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Dark Lord and Ruler of Hell, Satan announced plans to replace the gathering with his very own S-Fest. Experts believe the announcement comes after a multi-century battle of good versus evil. Quote, while Jehovah's plans have been foiled once again, the ground will open and the gates of hell will rise up the Tennessee River Park and S-Fest will reign supreme, explained Satan, while releasing a belly laugh full of fire and brimstone. Quote, the fires of hell are just hot enough to burn away the coronavirus and be sure to purchase a keepsake S-Fest pentagram koozie from one of my demons in the merch tent. Good stuff, as always, from the Chattanooga bystander. I think by next week, I'm pretty sure by next week, I'll be able to announce officially what the uh, next radio gig I'm pretty sure I have locked up, but it's not quite done enough to um, to do that just yet. And I was at Chattanooga Unite this um, past weekend. Behold the Brave and uh, Lavender, No Pressure is the name of the band. And uh, both local acts, both are good. Behold the Brave was great. Um, Maria and uh, Tyler and uh, Dan of No Pressure and the other guys, I can't remember their names, kind of a little mini super group. They were fine, too. Quite a few people there, and social distancing was not really much of a thing as the night went along. It started off all right, but uh, didn't really didn't really stick throughout the night. I ran into local photographer uh, Phil Thatch, who was uh, pretty irritated by it, and we talked for a few minutes. He said I should do a whole segment on it, and I, I don't have time or the energy to put a whole segment on it, but I figured I at least would mention it. Let's see. Here's where my change-ups went from today. So I'm going to do in the second segment. Let's just go ahead and lay it out now. The second segment of the show is going to be uh, about college football and the postponement of a couple conferences, the Big Ten and the Pac-12, and why a lot of it, it makes a lot of sense, and not because necessarily – for health reasons, at least this is what I'm. This is coming from my point of view on it. I'll talk about that in the second segment. I was just going to make it a mention, but I think it deserves more than that. And then the final segment of the show, it is going to be all politics with the announcement of the VP uh, for for Biden, uh, Kamala Harris, and some audio I have from uh, a guy I am uh, I admire a lot in politics, John Kasich. It's going to be all politics. The final segment 
and primarily just my thoughts on the way I feel the way for the Democratic Party is going. I don't know if I'll talk about Trump or not. We'll just see how it goes. So feel free to check out uh, the final segment if that is not something you feel like listening to today. And what else? I guess that's just about it for now. So let's jump into what I've got is the worst idea and then two notable things. Not the coolest things, but two notable things. We'll start with the worst idea. I don't know who this guy is, or I didn't until today. Ben Shapiro. He is an American conservative political commentator, media host, and attorney. At the age of 17, he became the youngest nationally syndicated columnist in the United States. He's worked for Newsweek, The Daily Wire, editor-at-large at Breitbart, so you can pretty much see where a guy like that, where you know where his leanings and his thoughts and his ideology come from. Well, apparently Cardi B has a new song out called uh, WAP, or W-A-P, and um, I just heard of this today. I wouldn't know Cardi B if she walked in the room right now while I was recording this podcast and said, hey, I'm Cardi B, and I have a foul mouth, and uh, what up? I would say, it, what, how the hell did you get in here? I thought I locked the door. Anyway, her new song, Ben Shapiro reads the lyrics. Give me a little over a minute, maybe close to a minute and a half on today's worst idea. Here are some of the lyrics. You ready? Whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. There's some whores in this house. Hold up. I said certified freak seven days a week. Wet ass P word. Make that pullout game weak. Yeah, you effing with some wet ass P word. P word is female genitalia. Bring a bucket and a mop. For this wet ass p word, give me everything you got for this wet ass p word. Beat it up, n word. Catch a charge. <laughs> extra large and extra hard. Put this p word uh. right in your face. Swipe your nose like a credit card. Hop on top. I want to ride. I do a kegel while it's inside. Spit in my mouth. Look in my eyes. This p word is wet. Come take a dive. It continues uh, along these lines. Talk your s word. Bite your lip. Ask for a call while you ride that d word. You really ain't never gonna f him for a thing. He already made his mind up before he. Came and now get your boots and your coat for this wet ass p word. Pay my tuition just to kiss me on this wet ass p. Right. So, this is the guys. This, this is what feminists fought for. This is what the feminist movement was all about. And then he goes on and on about that. I don't care about any of that. But that is certainly today's worst idea. This is a TikTok. It's about thirty seconds long, and the only visual you need for it to make sense and be kind of funny. It's this, it's this guy walking down the street with a phone out. Almost looks like he probably has a selfie stick. And he's got a brand new coffee, some, you know, mocha, loca, doca, whatever in his hand. And he's walking past the Trump Tower. All right. Just not hesitating, not slowing down. So how long does it take to walk past the Trump Tower? Uh, about 30 seconds. And uh, so that's the visual you need to think of when you hear this audio. Walking down the street of New York City on the way to the stock market exchange as he passes by. Trump Tower. Every morning before the stock market opens, I get my iced coffee, then I talk to the president. You can't shut down TikTok! And you needed to spread your fascism! If you shut down TikTok, then you only have YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Fox News, and radio and fortune to spread fascism! Don't shut it down! Woo! Ready to start my day. <laughs> That's what's so great about TikTok. It's just such little stupid videos that are so funny. None of that was staged. There was people standing out out there, and he just walked by casually. And I talked to the president. So I thought that was good. Not the coolest thing, but a very notable thing. And they've also got here, her name is Francesca. I can't remember her last name. She's a uh, a, uh, a comedian and a contributor to lots of different online uh, media outlets News Broke is the name of one of the bigger ones that she hosted for a while. Maybe she still does. I just caught this quickly on Twitter somewhere where she was talking about kids and their uh, their hygiene or lack thereof when we're talking about how dangerous is it or is it not for kids to go back to school. Today's other notable thing. Listen, kids are 97% snot, okay? That's all they are. 3% is like Cheerios and 97% is just snot. We all know that. Anyone who's interacted with kids, anyone who were, like my middle school memories are just phlegm. Like that's all it was. <laughs> it's like, oh God, where do I, you know? And like, and like touching like dirt and stuff and like, you know, licking things and putting things in your mouth and being like, oh my God, I will always remember what a penny tastes like like that kind of stuff Ugh. you know like so honestly we and last time when's the last time you got sick last time i got sick deathly ill 
from a child, okay? Mm -hmm. They spread anything they have to everyone around them. So get out of here. You didn't know that kids could get sick or spread this virus. So I'm not trying to make a greater point on it other than I do remember what a penny tastes like because kids are stupid. uh, And if you think about it, well, at least when I think about it and hear from my my friends who have had kids for all these years, when one of those kids comes home sick, the whole damn house gets sick. And um, I don't know that for a fact. I haven't had a lot of experience with it. Had a little bit, but not a lot. And that's what I've always heard. And if your kids are sick, keep them the hell home. That's always been the uh, kind of the attitude, uh, at least from the outside looking in. And sending kids to school... And many of these kids are going to be around their family and older people and their grandparents and aunts and uncles and all that. Maybe it's not safe. I don't know. I'm not here to say it is. I'm not here to say it isn't. I'm just saying kids are gross. <laughs> and no more greater point than that. All right, let's see a couple things here, and then we'll wrap up this first segment, get to the college football talk, and then do all politics all the time in the final segment. So, um, yeah, I was on with Clint. We were talking podcasts and those kinds of things. And at the very beginning, I talked about how I don't really like doing podcasts because I don't. It's a chore. Uh, I don't enjoy it. I am very happy with the final product. I am proud of my work, but I don't get excited about it because it is it's a lot of it's a lot of work that uh, and also I'm not getting paid anything that might be changing hopefully within the next I don't know a little while. But this was a little follow up uh, question that Clint asked me. I figured I'd throw a couple of these in here real quick. Do you listen to podcasts? Because I know you say you don't. You're, it's a chore to you, but do you consume podcasts? Not really. Um, you're killing me. That's crazy. No, I didn't know. No, that. no. I, 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 people are always surprised at the couple of these different answers I've given you. Um, to me, a podcast is a major commitment. It's just like I can't sit down at work. I have a desk job that my day job, and I listen to a podcast because I'm focusing on other things. I can't focus. I can't watch a television show and do paperwork over here right i mean like a good show anyway you want to sit down and zero in and watch the show right to me that's the same thing with a podcast maybe it's my attention span i don't know but i have to sit down and just focus on listening to this podcast and i don't ever have an hour just to sit there and focus on just one hour usually unless i'm traveling i listen to my travel I'm cutting the grass. I'll find something to listen to for an hour. And that was uh, just one little follow-up I wanted to play because it is very true. I don't listen to a lot of podcasts because this is a commitment, and to me, it's difficult to do. And I'm, you know, thank you to, from the bottom of my heart that you're here listening. Um, I just don't have the time or uh, attention span to do it very often, unless, and just like I mentioned, unless I'm traveling or if I'm um, if I'm cutting the grass. And really not even I'm doing stuff around the house because I'm still focused on doing things. Like, okay, what am I going to do next? What am I going to do next? And I pace a lot, and I'm thinking all the time. And you know, I'm not not trying to sound like I'm an intellectual type, but my just my brain never stops. And when I'm um, thinking, I can't focus on what I'm listening to. And that's why music works, because you don't have to pay attention to every bit of it. And that's why radio works, because you don't have to pay attention to every bit of it. Then Clint asked me about how I put together my shows, and at first I told him, Something that somebody else told me a long time ago that have stuck with me all my life as a way to prepare for shows in general. And then I went on to talk about how uh, what happens to me often. Well, that's what happened to me exactly this week. And that's why I've had to change everything on the fly today. And I said, uh, and I was like, man, he just doesn't he just comes in here and does it. He doesn't do any show prep. And and Scott was like, man, his whole life is his show prep. And I've that never left me. I was like, that's interesting. And I've kind of, for that in the next 15, 18 years, modeled myself the same way. Try to live an interesting life and be be observant of everything around you. And that'll create your content for you. And it sure enough does. So leading every week, I've got, you should see my notes to self on my phone. I, every month, there's hundreds of them. Just what something I see, something I think about, something that, you know, I hear somewhere. And then as the week gets closer to the time I'm going to record, I, I just sift through those and see which one applies the most to whatever's going on that week and then put together three segments and boom, an hour of a podcast. But the problem there is that I, I start often maybe into the weekend. I record every Tuesday. Well, by the time Tuesday rolls around, there might be 10 more things I'd rather do than the stuff I already started on, you know, and that, it, that frustrates me because I do a lot of pre-production stuff with audio and things like that. And uh, that's another thing that irritates me, but, 
that's a long way of answering your question. That's how I come up with, with topics. It's just kind of whatever puts together over the course of a week. And sometimes Sunday will roll around. I'll be like, geez, I got nothing. And then lo and behold, every time, boom, something shows up. And this case, it, Monday night into Tuesday rolled around and I had very little. And I put together a couple of just meaningless segments that I've shelved for now that are not very time sensitive that I'll get to at another time. Coming up next, college football might not be played this fall at all, but we know it won't be played by the Big Ten and the Pac-12. And I think it was a very good decision by their presidents of these universities. And it doesn't have anything to do with health concerns, or at least indirectly, but not directly. What am I talking about? I'll get to that coming up next. Now more Stone on Air. It's about to get all stupid up in here. Stoneonair.com. Let's start with the decisions by the Big Ten and Pac-12 today to punt on fall football. The conference has made the official announcements this afternoon with the Big Ten saying that after consulting with health experts, quote, it became abundantly clear that there was too much uncertainty regarding potential medical risks to allow our student athletes to compete this fall, close quote. Yeah, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna use the word applaud, the presidents. But the presidents have to exert something and exercise something we haven't seen much of in the country when it comes to the pandemic, and that is leadership. And that's what they've done. And I know it pains them, but if you can, like you said, kick it down the road a little bit, maybe the country will be in a better place and we can have college football in the spring. As Mike Wilbon, I don't agree with that necessarily, but that's all I had to go with to open the segment anyway. This is Allison Chains from the Unplugged record in 1996. Why are you playing that, Brian? I'm glad that you asked. I was uh, up late, rabbit holing. YouTube over the weekend and stumbled on Allison Chains Unplugged and watched most of it and was just so surprised, shouldn't have been, but I was at how awful Lane Staley looked. He sounds okay. He sounds all right here. He's not, he doesn't sound perfect, but he sounds okay. But he looks like death. Eyes are closed most of the time. It heads down, staring down, barely singing into the microphone. And Jerry Cantrell, the, the lead guitar, lead songwriter, and partial lead singer, because really Lane Staley at times was just the uh, background. He just had that such you know amazing voice. It's what worked so well between the two of them. But often Jerry was doing just as much singing. And Jerry looks so vibrant and so young and so just so good. Of course, they were pretty young. It was 1996. You know, six years later, Lane Staley would be found dead after being just, I don't know, docile for a while. He was in his apartment dead for like two or three weeks before they even found him. That's how little people kept in contact with him and how junkied out he was at the end of his life. And at right about that time, 96, 97, is when the band started to break up. And uh, hadn't seen that in a long time, so... Figured I would throw that out there just for the heck of it. All right, so college football might not happen in 2020. If I'm betting, which I don't bet, but if I did, my money would be on none of them are going to play in the fall. Maybe later into the winter. I don't see how that makes any sense. If you're not going to play in the fall, why would you play in the winter? Maybe next spring, but I mean, hell, spring practice for the 2021 season, we're all kinds of messed up. So I I guess in the world of where you just throw all the norms out the window and out the door and you do just whatever makes the most sense, who knows what will happen. But what we know for sure is is that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have canceled or at least postponed their seasons. I think that's a completely in-ink done deal. I guess something could change. But that came down on Tuesday as well. It was rumored into Monday, and then it it seemed to be solidified and a done deal that those two conferences were walking away from the fall. So as of now, that leaves the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12 that are still saying they're not sure yet or they're going to play or whatever. They haven't canceled or postponed yet. If anybody else follows, I just don't see how one or two conferences plays and the other 
others don't. This is a problem when you don't have a commissioner in an organized league, and one of the many reasons why NCAA overall is a, just a terribly stupid organization. College football as a whole is really, really stupid. Because if you don't have two or three of the five major conferences playing, well, what the hell's the point in playing other than money? And if money's the answer, then fine. I get it. At least you know money's the answer. But you're not going to have a, tr- a true champion. You're not going to have a season that has any kind of real legitimacy. And I've been kind of saying this about all sports. And right now, baseball's playing, and I'm watching. NFL, I do believe, will play. It's a professional league. If they want to try, they can. But there's no governing body. There's no uh, uh, collectively bargained agreements amongst unions or work associations or any workforces or anything like that in college football. So it's there's no really one good concrete way to do things. But here's what I have found out after looking at some numbers, and I this isn't a complete original thought. I heard some people talking about it a little bit earlier today, and I did a little bit of research myself, is that, first of all, this is an original thought. The reason I believe that college football is so popular in the South is because the South is so incredibly stupid. And we are very, very easily entertained by very simplistic things. And the college football world, the pageantry, the things that come along with it, are uh, are fun, and it, I I have fun with it too. As much as I don't like watch uh, like college football, I probably watch college football more than I do any other organized sport, just because the festivities that come along with it are fun. But so many times, the super fandom, crazy fans of these teams have no affiliation with these universities. They didn't go there. They don't donate to them. Their kids didn't go there either. It's just this weird Southern thing. And uh, I guess that extends all the way into Texas and maybe close to the Beltway, but not quite. You go just about anywhere else in the country, you know, that that's that's over two-thirds of the rest of the country. And college football is fun. You know, college football is fine. But college football isn't that important. Like, if you think about Florida basketball or Auburn basketball or you know, just any team that's not your favorite team, do you really care about them or any of that? Of course you don't. Of course I don't. Of course none of us do. We all like March Madness, but that's about it. And that's kind of where most other areas of the country, and there, there's certainly their outliers like Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, uh, USC, when they're good, only when they're good. Los Angeles is as trendy of a town as it gets. Um, there, there are a few outliers, but most of the time, Arizona State doesn't move the needle. Northwestern doesn't move the needle. Rutgers doesn't move the needle. Washington uh, State Oregon, yeah, they might be an outlier. Oregon State sure as hell doesn't doesn't get anybody excited. So the idea of not having these for a season to a lot of the areas of the country isn't that big a deal. Just as if I told you there wasn't going to be, you know, ACC basketball outside of the Carolinas. Yeah, you know, that kind of sucks. I'd like to watch some basketball, but whatever. I'll I'll figure something else out. And that's that's the way the majority of the rest of the country is. Down here, it's so unfathomable. It's like, oh my God, did you kill you know, I'd rather die than not have my Saturdays in the South. So around here, the decision to not play football just doesn't even seem like an option. But here's the re the reality of the situation. And this this is the difference between the director of athletics or the athletic director and the president of the university. These are two very, very different um, roles at an uh, at, at a, at a institution of learning. Very, very, the pecking order is very, there's a long way down from president to director of athletics, okay? So I heard a number that said that Stanford's, uh, Stanford out in California, their operating budget for the entire school, the entire university, was $7 billion. And I thought, well, I had to have heard that wrong. I had to have heard that wrong. Because I don't know what a uh, what the football program at any of these Power 5 schools, what, what, their, you know, what their operating budget is. I know now, I didn't before. But it ain't $7 billion, okay? So I thought, maybe I heard that wrong. So I did some Googling, and it's kind of hard to find that information quickly. I spent, I don't know, half hour on this. But I did... F- indeed find that Stanford University's operating budget is $6.8 billion. Went on to find, and these are all out west schools, Oregon State, their operating budget, $1.3 billion. 
Cal, you know, the Cal, California Bears, Cal. I, I had to double check on this. $36.5 billion in operating budgets for that school. I knew it would be high. I didn't think it would be that high. Maybe that let, let's let, let cut that in a third if you want to, just for the sake of argument. And I found Washington, the uh, the Huskies, uh, state of Washington University, seven point eight billion dollar operating budget. Okay, so then I started to look at the football programs, not the entire athletic departments, even though we know football makes up most of that. Trying to find an operating budget of the football programs, and I found it here locally because I had more access to information from Tennessee. In 2018, Tennessee football generated $96 million, $96 million in revenues. Their expenditures were $52 million. So clearly, they're a cash cow. They're bringing in $96. They're spending $52. Obviously, that leaves a, you know, a surplus of $40 plus whatever, and a majority of that goes to fund the rest of the uh, athletic budget, right? So I don't know if bringing in $96 million means that the, the operating budget is around 100 but I'm just going to guess that that's about what it is, that a Power 5 football program has an operating budget between, let's just say, $80 million, and we'll go all the way up to $150 million. So if that's the case, if that's true, that is the smallest percentage. My math in my head ain't going to begin to start doing percentages on, on million, hundreds of millions and billions. But if your, your football program brings in $150 million and your overall operating budget is $7 billion, well, if there's an, any kind of chance of liability, any kind of, of anything that could be questionable to your overall organization, what do you do? You push it to the side. You either get rid of it completely or you reorganize it or you do something drastic to get that eyesore out of the way. Because let's let's just think about this if it's just any other kind of company. A $7 billion um, vacuum, vacuum cleaner manufacturer, cleaning supplies, you know, commercial and household cleaning supplies and vacuum manufacturing. $7 billion and the president of that, the CEO of that company has a division, let's call it the the dust buster or whatever, the the latest, you know, whatever, and 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 some dust pans or something. And somehow something goes defective on that and there's potential litigation if something goes wrong, you know, legalities and liabilities that could compromise your entire vacuum manufacturing company worth 7 billion. What do you do? You get rid of it or at least reorganize it. And that's what they're doing in Big Ten and Pac-12 football because, I mean, Stanford doesn't care if they have a football team. Cal Berkeley doesn't care if they have a football team. Um, I mean, they would prefer to have one, but they've got a lot more important things going on, and people at Cal Berkeley are more interested in chaining themselves to trees you know, and saving the world through progressive Birkenstocks wearing socks types. So that's why that was such an easy decision for the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Now, I th- I feel like the Big 12, which is more Midwest and lower towards Texas, kind of that middle ground, my guess is they'll follow suit next. And the ACC and the SEC, which you know primarily takes over the, in- the entire South, will wait as long as they can, and they should wait as long as they can. There's no reason to do it today. But that was an easy decision for them to make. There's there's no reason to let, uh, uh, what is that, a 7% of your, uh, of your overall operating budget leave you in a liability situation because everything is still up in the air. A lot of people are pissed and don't think it's any big deal and got their own opinions on it, but that doesn't mean that anybody is for sure about anything. And I agree with these with these presidents of these universities. That's what I would have done. That's absolutely what I would have done and I don't live in the here's what I would do world, but given all the facts of how these of, of how everything is stacking up right now as we speak as you know preseason NFL is supposed to start in a week or two and and uh and and the hell the college season is supposed to start in what? 3 weeks? Yeah, I I think that's exactly the decision 
that I would make, and I would not be surprised whatsoever if um, the SEC and the ACC are going to do the exact same thing, and that's just going to piss off the dumb Southerners even that much worse. They're going to you take away their college football. Holy hell, we're going to. I've said it before here recently, and I mean it. We ain't seen nothing yet this year. We still got a lot of time left. We ain't seen nothing yet. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm very concerned and worried that something very, very bad is still yet to come this year. I don't know if the cancellation of the SEC has anything to do with it, but it ain't going to help anything. All right, so we got a VP for Joe Biden. It is Kamala Harris, and I will be political the rest of the way out. So if that's not your thing, then uh, see you next week. Take care. For the rest of you, we'll talk about it next. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stoneonair.com. So I just seen on Fox News that Joe Biden, just when you think he can't get any dumber, he says, hold my life alert and watch this, and he picked Kamala Harris as his VP. Well, ever since Cardi B put out WAP, these broads are out here thinking they can do whatever they want. I don't know anything about Carmella Harris, but I know she's wrong. Here's my reasoning, you soy boys. Go ahead and say a name for the Democratic VP nomination. Go ahead, say it. Wrong. Say another one. Wrong. Say another Wrong. She's too dumb. He's too fat. He's not hot enough. Biden's got dementia. Hillary's emails. Obamagate. A can of beans. Bush did 9-11. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Whatever you say, us maggots are going to say... Wrong. It's like really bad improv or the worst game of Mad Libs you ever played. And that's what you're going to be come whatever day the election is. You're just going to be a bunch of Mad Libs. I don't know anything about Carmela Harris. I know she's a woman. I know she's black. And I know she's Asian. So you better get ready for a bunch of racist and sexist comments. Because like Frank's Red Hot, I'm about to put that shit on everything. <laughs> Uh, love that dude. Love this song too. This brings back the memories of my favorite time of the, my life, the late 90s. Early 90s too, but it was more the late 90s before I put it together when they won. They, well, yeah, they. Clinton and Gore won in 90. I guess that would have been in January or uh, uh, November of 91, right? And then sworn in in 92. I was 11, 12 years old. So, By the time the Lewinsky stuff went down, I was 18, 19 years old. So, I don't know. I don't do this for a whole long. I'm, I don't think. I'm tired, ready to call it a night. Kamala Harris, yes, that is how you say it, too. Like, comma, that you put in a sentence. Kamala Harris is the selection for VP for Joe Biden, and I was surprised by that. I, Not terribly, terribly surprised, but I certainly would have thought it would have been somebody else. Who is, I always forget the woman's name from Michigan. I thought she might be a good choice, even though I don't know that anybody gets energized by her at all. I thought it was an interesting idea. The mayor of, um, of, of Atlanta, what the hell is her name? Uh, Bottoms, isn't that her last name, I believe? And but just not not enough experience there because you do have to have somebody, I believe anyway, experience because Joe's old and um, you know he's going to get made fun of terribly. All of a sudden, making fun of elderly people is going to be an okay. Okay, when in America has it been okay to make fun of elderly people? Well, now, now it is. Now it's okay. And but some of the criticisms are are real because he he has had two aneurysms in his life and he's seventy seven years old. And he's a you know a little bit of a stutterer anyway in his best days, but uh, I I in the end like the choice. But there's going to be a lot of this. I found this on Twitter today quickly, and this is going to pick up and get more and more steam on social media, especially as as uh, Don Trump continues to lie and make stuff up about everything virtually. But this is I don't know if this is lies or not because I haven't been able to fact check it. But this is Tulsi Gabbard at the primaries going after Kamala Harris. Um, and this is partially why I don't like these really vicious uh, uh, primaries, but I guess you have to have them. But this is from uh, earlier this year or the end of last year. As a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor. Senator Harris says she's proud of her record 
as a prosecutor and that she'll be a prosecutor president, but I'm deeply concerned about this record. There are too many examples to cite, but she put over 1,500 people in jail for marijuana violations and then laughed about it when she was asked if she ever smoked marijuana. She blocked evidence that would have freed an innocent man from death row until the courts forced her to do so. She kept people in prison beyond their sentences to use them as cheap labor for the state of California. And she fought to keep cash you, bail system in place that impacts poor people in the worst kind of way. When you were in a position to make a difference and an impact in these people's lives, you did not. And worse yet, in the case of those who were on death row, innocent people, you actually blocked evidence from being revealed that would have freed them until you were forced to do so. There is no excuse for that. And the people who suffered under your reign as prosecutor, oh, you owe them an apology. I don't know how much of that is or isn't true, but I'm telling you, the Bernie bros and the uh, BLM bros really are going to are going to hate this. They're going to hate this pick. I already saw one of them. I've, I've been hitting the snooze for 30 days button on Facebook, like just rapid fire today because I just didn't want to didn't want to see it. Just wasn't interested in it. And I generally don't unfollow and block people, but I, you know, snooze for 30 days about the best thing Facebook has ever uh, created. But uh, somebody had, and I know he's a super Bernie bro, just put the Kamala Harris is a cop. And of course, right now it's fashionable to hate cops in the radical left, uh, so-called progressive Democrats side. And I guess they probably don't consider themselves Democrats necessarily. I don't know, but. Well, she's not a cop. She is a prosecutor and an attorney general. Uh, who is Kamala Harris? She is a junior senator, United States senator from California since 17. She's born in Oakland. She's a graduate of the Howard University and University of California Hastings College of the Law. Uh, Harris faced criticism from reformers for tough-on-crime policies she pursued while she was California's Attorney General. So she was the Attorney General for several years before she became the Senator, and that is the, the knock on her by a lot of the you know let all the let all the criminals out of jail. Uh, and I'm not I'm not trying to make too big fun. I do think that uh, reform in the prison system and law enforcement is is certainly something to be worth looking at. But this whole idea of just you know let them all out and do it all today and defund the police and all this just nonsense that just makes you know, reasonable Democrats like myself look like a fool. And this is the kind of stuff that I I hope that my Republican friends that still, whether they want to use the word support or not, but still vote for Trump, the, this is that we both have to deal with the same thing. You know, the, the yeehaws, the maggots with the hats and the hooting and hollering at the rallies, you know, those people are gross. And the people that are, you know, creating damage to property, looting, screaming nonsensical bullshit about defunding police and all that. I mean, this is quite disturbing to me on a lot of levels as well. But my point being is Kamala Harris, she is known for being tough on crime. And um, I, I, I thought that was a good thing. Generally speaking, once upon a time it was. Uh, let's see, one couple numbers here. She uh, inherited a 50.3% felony conviction rate when she took over as attorney district attorney in 2004 in California. That rose to 53% the next year, 65% in 2006, and 76% in 2009. So she is good at putting people in jail. That's not going to make a lot of these I-hate-cop types very happy. Convictions of drug dealers increased from 56% in 03 when she first took over, to 74% in 2006. Now, a lot of that it just says drug deals, you know, I don't drug dealers. I don't know how much of that is marijuana, cocaine, whatever. California is the size of uh, many big countries and has its own, you know, whole little world over there. So I'd have to break that down to know more. But do you think any of these numbnuts on, on social media are going to actually sit around and look for actual numbers? No, of course they're not. They're going to hate on her because, first of all, they hate Biden to begin with, and they're going to hate on her because she is tough on crime. The thing I'm thinking here, though, is, is that in the end, I believe that this party, the Democratic Party, is banking on enough people hate Don Trump that aren't all these crazies 
on social media, Twitter, and 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 looting in the street. Enough middle of the road, middle class America is fed up with this just disgusting display we see every day on TV. And most middle class America wants people to be tough on crime. Most middle class America doesn't want to defund the police. And while um, Bernie and Elizabeth Warren types, they are not in favor of a lot of these policies for sure. They are smart enough that they know that the only way to defeat Don Trump is via a coalition of Democrats. See, Bernie's smart. Elizabeth Warren's smart. Much of their constituents, numbnut dipshits that are not smart at all. So with this team and people all coming together, they're banking on that's going to be enough to win this election. And, I mean, I got excited today because of just some new news to chew on and then do some research on uh, Kamala Harris. And I did get I did get a, a little swelling of excitement today. And it didn't knock my socks off. But I, th- I think that that potentially might it might be just enough to win. I think the debates are going to mean so much because uh, Joe has to prove that he can keep it all together for an hour or two. He doesn't need to be out on the on the trail, out doing rallies and all that. None of, we don't need any of that. No, everybody, you're going to vote for whoever you're voting for, except for a very small amount of people that might not be decided yet. Those debates, and when are they? In October, I think. Those debates are going to mean everything. And if he can just hold his own, he doesn't even have to win, quote unquote win the debate. If he can just hold his own and not have a blooper reel the next day, and and uh, and Kamala Harris can hit the hit the trail and do a lot of the talking for him and, and energizing a lot of the base, there's a chance. There is a chance. I'm not you know predicting anything, but there's definitely a chance. And what makes it even more encouraging is the guy who should be president right now. While he is not switching parties, he is officially endorsing Biden. Who am I talking about? Former governor of Ohio. It's basic. Vote Kasich. Yes, John Kasich is going to be a, a speaker at the Democratic National Convention. I'm guessing it's going to be completely virtual. But I don't know if that's unprecedented. But I've never heard of an opposite party, former candidate for the other party's presidential nomination, speaking at the Rivals convention just one election cycle later. He was on CNN with Don Lemon. Why is John Kasich jumping parties, at least for now, to vote and support Joe Biden? I try to follow my conscience in terms of what seems right to me. And, you know, I didn't support Trump the last time because you know I was on the debate stage with him. I watched him, and I was afraid he was going to be a divider, not a unifier. Uh, somebody that would go out of his way to be critical of people of the other party or didn't think the way he did. And unfortunately, it turned out to be right. So I look around and I say, okay, now what? And we can't continue to go down this path. It's, it's, I mean, people are now speaking to each other if they disagree with them with, through clenched teeth. There's almost hatred going on. This has to stop because the great things that happen in our country whatever they are, women's suffrage, civil rights, they happen when we come together, not when we're divided. So I, I felt that Joe Biden would be a unifier and he would stop this division and uh, we could get back to, uh, you know, sort of a civil conversation. Could be arguments, could be strong, but at the end of the day, I think that he will include people, not exclude them and stop the name calling. No, we're not going to get to any kind of civil conversation in this country anytime soon, but he will stop the name calling, I would like to believe, I would hope to believe. Four years ago, I had uh, many of my super liberal or even not so super liberal f- friends pissed at me because I would regularly talk about on the air at the old talk station about how John Kasich was the only adult in the room. The guy was the only guy who made any sense during that primary, and he is uh, he is perfectly qualified to be the president of the United States because he is a moderate. And they're laughing their head off. Like, oh, you think he's a moderate? Because he's you know, very much against abortion and a few other things like that. But um, And now they're all lapping him up. Like, oh, John Kasich, he's the best guy ever. Um, he didn't vote for Trump or Hillary in 2016. He wrote in John McCain because he couldn't sell, bring himself to go to the others two candidates. But he said he won't do that again this time. 
look, I'm a Republican. I'm not going to change my party. I've been a conservative Republican, but I've had enough of this. I've had enough of the division, everything else, I'm not getting anything done. So to just sit it out again and say, well, I'm not going to be for Trump and not lend my support to somebody, I, it doesn't make sense for me this time around. And I actually believe, I've known Joe, I've known him for 30 years. I know the kind of guy he is. Now, I'm not going to agree with him on everything. Probably he gets to be president. I'll be on here with you and I'll be talking about the things that I don't agree with him on. But I think as a leader, as a person that can bring us together at a time when this dysfunction, I mean, your whole show tonight is all about the dysfunction of what we're getting from the executive branch. It has to stop. And uh, our best days are when we work together, not when we fight and divide each other. That's where we need to go. One more cut here from John Kasich, and we'll wrap up the show today. So he was asked, well, then are you are you leaving the party, or are you just kind of a man stuck in limbo without a party? No, I'm, I'm a leader who's willing to walk a lonely road and try to resuscitate my party, actually. You know, the thing we, we never talked about, when I ran for re-election as governor of Ohio, uh, I won 86 out of 88 counties. It was one of the most sweeping victories ever and got support across the board from all types in the state of Ohio. I believe that the Republican Party has to become for things, not against things. It should be addition, not subtraction. And I think, I think they've lost their way. And the party that I look at today does not resemble the party that I grew up in. Uh, and the efforts of the president belies the principles that Lincoln founded the Republican Party upon. But I'm not ready to give up. I'm, I'm willing to work and to see if I can join with others to kind of restore what it means uh, to be a Republican and a conservative, which is opportunity for all. That's what it really gets down to. What are you doing to make sure that everybody has a chance to do better? Think about that, especially during the time frame when John Kasich was the governor of Ohio, which was, I don't know, he's been out of that for four years. So that would have been, you know, mid to late 2000s and into the early uh, teens where Ohio was still very much a swing state. I, it still is, but it might be leaning red these days. In a swing state that has regularly voted blue in the presidential election, he won 86 out of 88 counties in the state of Ohio. That's remarkable. Um, I, I don't know what it means other than Ohio is certainly an anomaly, uh, at least amongst just a couple other states that are like it. But I don't know that any, any governor or anybody running for any office of, of a statewide uh, magnitude could say they won 86 out of 88 counties so i love having john Kasich on board i am i didn't just start all of a sudden now saying hey look at this cool republican coming over here and helping out i've been on john Kasich's side for quite some time at least from a republican point of view and that is all i have for the stone on air podcast on august 12th 2020 i am exhausted i'm gonna put it uh put this thing to rest and uh, thank you very much for being here next week hopefully have that news about the new radio gig you could probably take a guess of what you think it is, but I'll get you more details as I meet with them on Thursday. Is that all? Do I have anything? Did I forget anything? Get rid of that. Get rid of that. Put that right over there. And I think that'll do it. Y'all have a good one. Talk to you again next week. <laughs>